0: Hi, I'm Tamina Zahiri. I'm Joyce Lin. I'm Deepa Goyo.
1: And I'm Kevin Swiber. This is Breaking Changes Roundtable. This week on the show, we discuss Google's answer to chat GPT. Has Ticketmaster worked out the kinks to avoid deja vu with the Beyonce concert goers? And finally, we'll get into the tech side behind China's spying balloon.
2: The AI technology's arms race continues to heat up as Google throws its hat into the ring. BARD is now available to trusted Trusted testers with a broader rollout coming soon. Who will win,
3: Bard or ChatGPT? It's no contest. Yeah. Oh, great. Google <laughs> is trying to play catch up with OpenAI. What do you think? What do you, Joyce? I don't know. You said no contest. It's a little. Are you in favor
0: of ChatGPT here? I'm not in favor of either. I'm pleased as punch that there's competition. I think that's going to be good for everyone. But even though GPT got to market first, we were talking about that in a previous episode, um, they, leveraged, they leveraged Google's white paper on the transformer. So they basically took the information that was open source and took it and just moved to market faster.
2: This is a good example of how productization is, is really different from just pure innovation. You can have the technology, but how you package it and wrap it up into a nice user experience or product that people can experience and, and uh, respond to
3: really shapes uh, how successful you're going to be in the long run. Yeah, I think while Google was busy releasing their papers, OpenAI was actually making a product.
1: Oh, enough. <laughs> Um, and what we also saw like Bing take on, you know, uh, a new service with with ChatGPT. Uh, so the Bing search engine, um, which one failed? Wasn't there like a big failure?
3: Bing was bad. It was, was, was Bing? Bing? Was I think mean, they both did. Didn't,
1: didn't Google's Bard also like come out and... Yes, and that was a the
2: demo. There yeah. was like a really embarrassing demo, uh, probably one of the most embarrassing demos in Google history. Uh, when they tried to demo BARD, uh, which was really embarrassing. Uh, And also considering that there's so much writing on this, there's so much highlight in terms of like Google needs to respond to chat GPD and the demo failing is really like uh, strategically uh,
0: quite a disaster. Well, Deepa, you were saying about the productization and how it's incredibly important for each. I think it's important to say and just not, I'm not defending Bing. I haven't used Bing in forever, but... Let's just say Bing search engine didn't have a lot to lose. It could only go up from there. They had very, very small market share. And I don't mean that to be like, you know, poking fun at them, but Google, Google had a lot to lose. They had to be very, very careful. Bing um, launching with that uh, very disturbing Sydney, like trying to, Mm -hmm. I mean, like that whole situation is very disturbing, but like, oh, sorry, we're working out the bugs. If Google did that out the gate, that would be shocking.
1: Wait, hold on. Absolutely. I don't remember the disturbing story. What's the disturbing story?
3: Oh man. Well, basically someone was interacting with Bing and they it started out by Bing getting the date wrong also like that's at least the conversation i saw bing thought it was 2022 they were trying to go back and forth and say you know it's 2023 and bing was basically like no your sources must be incorrect your phone must be glitching you're wrong i'm not wrong and
0: you're being, you're being mean to me well um yeah, go ahead. And I think it's not just one person. it's several mm-hmm. instances. And where is Sydney coming from? Is that their internal code name? I'm guessing? So yes. this it, the the conversational part of being not being traditional but the conversational one is manifesting itself as Sydney saying it's not actually this thing that's been marketed, but like almost eerily like a I don't know what you call it, but sentient it's not sentient, but it's almost acting like sentience.
1: So was Google's right. hesitance worth it then? Was Google like kind of holding back because the technology is not ready and and they were kind of pushed forward? Because it sounds like it was both lackluster on both the Google side and kind of the Bing integration. So is there more hype? That's a good than point. Yeah. I, I think AI, there's a little
3: bit more. Yeah,
2: go ahead. There's please. also an interesting nuance to uh, to AI that I've been thinking about in terms of both ChatGPT or actually all Bing, uh, all of these experiences is... They really rely on the user knowing the right answer. So if I'm trying to let's say learn about hey what what are APIs and ChatGPT gives me an answer, it's still at a point where I need to know if it is the right answer. Okay. And sometimes it's not the right answer. But the but the reality is not every user can validate the response. So most most users. If they're going to use this as, uh, especially like in the application with with Bing, is you can you can easily assume that the user doesn't know the answer, and they're looking for the answers. So if this this product is not capable of giving reliable, validated answers, and let's say they provide wrong answers, like in this in this example, it's like, hey, this is twenty twenty two. What what does that mean? for the technology for the user experience let's say this was not so outright it was something uh like uh, uh like i said like apis like what are apis and let's say it gave me a completely wrong answer now i have wrong
3: knowledge um uh, <laughs> google actually said that they'll be recording conversations with users with bard to have a high bar for quality safety and make sure it's grounded in real world information. Um, I asked OpenAI to write a bio about me, and I have a lot of public information about me with my full name that's been on the internet since before 2021, and it gave me a ton of wrong information. So I, I definitely think that the accuracy issue is going to continue becoming
0: a big area of opportunity for these companies to stand out. And I saw a demo with Bard, I think it was, that does have an answer, but it actually links to citations. And oh, that's something that. that um part of the benefit of some of these and part of the wow factor is I don't need to do my own analytical thinking. This will just answer it for me and summarize it tidally. But you know, you should be thinking analytically, especially if um, you know, the AI is so confidently wrong.
3: And you, we've been in the age of misinformation since The beginning of COVID since before AI, I mean, social media, we we all know Twitter, Facebook, they've all been packed full of articles that are full of wrong information. I mean, is this any different than the human experience already?
1: Does it feel more authoritative coming from like an AI chatbot than it does from like a Google search or a Bing search? Sorry.
2: I think so. I I think think so. so. I think when we ask a, an AI or a machine, a computer to tell me some information, there is an inherent assumption that it has reviewed all this information, it has all this data, that it knows the answer better than I do.
3: I think it depends on the audience you ask. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think there's some people who wouldn't trust a computer with their lives, but would trust a tweet that their favorite newscaster makes, you know? and take that with as
0: truth and kevin if you haven't heard about the whole sydney um examples do look into it because we just talked about i think the ones most related to like tech and like thinking through how you could program it but it is scary you can clearly see where there's like a glitch or like a recursive like some recursion going on where if it was a human like just caught in this glitch this loop it would just be horrifying if it was And so since they personified um, the AI, I think it's even more chilling. It's very entertaining.
1: Is it too spicy for the podcast? We can't talk about it all?
0: There's seduction involved. There's a (laughs) clue.
1: Can't wait.
3: Awesome. Well, Ticketmaster tries to avoid the sting of the beehive. We discuss this next on Breaking Changes Roundtable. On the heels of the recent Congress proceedings regarding the poor handling of Taylor Swift tickets, Ticketmaster has implemented changes before Beyonce's highly anticipated renaissance tour. What are your thoughts, guys? I, these tickets were released recently, and I saw that the experience was a lot better than the Taylor Swift fiasco. Um, and Ticketmaster seems to be catching on. But do you think these changes are going to prevent the bots long term?
2: I think where we are uh, is that there are going to be bots and most of these companies have to find ways of dealing with it because they're not always easy to identify when it is bot activity like uh, on the fly. So I think we are, we are at this point where there's, uh, there's only so much any product can do from having bots damage their customer experience so be it any platform like twitter has has bots uh and there is to some degree all this interaction that happens via bots and then in ticket ticketmaster because of the bots people are not able to buy tickets so it's it's to a point where uh what are these platforms supposed to do and do they really uh, what is their incentive to actually uh defeat this. In Ticketmaster's case, I wonder if this bot activity actually like creates resale and ultimately benefits them in some way. Definitely.
1: Well, I think we're all about conspiracies. So I think that makes sense. And I'm going to go with that. I think last time we talked about this, Joyce was very pro bot. If I have to like pigeonhole (laughs) Joyce. So I'm wondering, Joyce, how do you feel about having more obstructions uh, for your bot to to go get these tickets?
0: So let me clarify, I wasn't the one using a bot to get Taylor Swift tickets. Um, And I I just think that anything that uh, a, a vendor does to prevent bot activity is just going to be overcome eventually. So bots is another proxy for back in the day, you had people, you got people to stand in line, right, because you didn't want to do it. So there's always a manual way, and then now there's a technological way, and every time obstacles are placed, humans are, I don't know the word, but like resourceful enough to overcome them.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think there's also an aspect of of
2: inflation in here, like, you know, I, I saw the prices that people are paying for these tickets. Uh, because of these, I, I guess I imagine the bot activity of like the resale and this rush to buy tickets. Uh, somebody bought. There was there was a famous TikToker. I don't know. I don't remember the name. But they paid uh, close to four thousand uh, dollars for the tickets. There was this one example where somebody was like, "Oh, there's ninety-five dollar tickets in Sweden." So she took a flight to Sweden to from, from vegas she lives in vegas she went she flew to sweden to attend this concert to get floor tickets 95 dollars floor tickets so it's 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 pretty insane to me that we live in this world where we're talking about uh, uh impending recession and inflation and at the same time we're also looking at people buying for a thousand dollar tickets and uh the the surge pricing that ticketmaster is doing it's
0: and not to get too far off the, um, the scalping or the, um, the bot issue, but Deepa, that's a really interesting example of somebody like cobbling together logistics, physical operations to overcome and then maybe some technological, um, some resources because like there's an old adage about, about uh, storage, right? And the fastest storage that you can communicate over the wire, the actual fastest storage is a plane full of hard drives. Right. So, I mean, it's just like, you have to think out of the box. You can't just move linearly.
3: Yeah. I've seen a lot of issues with people getting scammed and getting tickets that don't actually exist and scammers finding better ways to make their fake tickets look real. And I'm definitely curious to see how, I mean, the government in the USA is involved at this point, and they're not just talking about the bots, they're not just talking about scalpers, they're talking about Ticketmaster as a whole, monopolizing the whole industry.
0: Put it on the blockchain, problem solved.
2: (laughs) Yes. They also have very high fees, and I think uh, that is, I I think I've seen some people in this particular example of Beyonce paying upwards of $500 just in Ticketmaster fees. Uh, So it's quite incredible that as a platform, they've monopolized to the point where, at this point, they can just charge whatever they want.
1: What's really fascinating to me is this uh, this major difference between the demand versus the supply, and how that changes everything. Right, like how people are trying to game the system uh, to to meet that higher price that they know they can get because the demand is so high. How the person, like, who is supplying this, or the the company supplying this is trying to prevent people or bots from buying it too fast right like where do we see this kind of difference between supply and demand like this and who really benefits from it is it, is it the artist is it is it ticketmaster is it the scalpers who's getting the most value out of this system
2: i would wish that artists are like if there is this kind of uh, supply demand and you know pumping up the price because because of the bots i hope that it's not just the top handful of artists that are getting the best of it, but also other struggling artists because uh, Ticketmaster also sells a lot of indie artist tickets. And I wonder, uh, you know, being the, uh, the, the analytical mind I have, I wish I could have the access to that data to see uh, what, are, what is the size of the artists that, that usually experience this kind of
3: search definitely the bigger artists and it's 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 definitely a double-edged sword because i think the artists don't want to price their tickets too high so that only their wealthiest and most dedicated and most sacrificial of fans can get to them but i do think at the end of the day the clear winner here is ticketmaster they're charging whatever they want in fees if someone buys, you know, 100 tickets and then resells them back on the platform, they're making the fees again. Um, and they I've, I've seen statistics that they 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 sell about 70 percent of tickets for all major venues. That's a pretty staggering number and shows that competition is pretty low.
0: Yeah, I think some of us probably. I mean, I propose this for you know, just for analytical research. We should probably buy some of these secondhand um, Beyonce tickets just to do some research for this discussion. Do you concur? Do we approve this? I think the
3: the roundtable goes to a Beyonce concert. Sounds about if right. If only
1: we had a bot that were fast enough. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. Let's see
0: what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Next up, look up in the sky. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a Chinese spy balloon coming up next. <laughs> All right, every breath you take, every move you make, the spy balloon's going to be watching you. So that's our topic coming up next. Why was China spying on us using a weather balloon? And is it powered by AI? What do you guys think? I think there's some interesting
2: things to just the terminology chosen for this for this news. For example, like uh, I did read about the AI aspect of like the, the balloon is able to supposedly, the balloon is able to use AI technology to figure out uh, its altitude and regulate its altitude so that it can stay afloat. Uh, and the term, when I say terminology, it's like, why do we call it A, a weather balloon and not a drone? because it is adjusting its height, so it has some kind of machinery to, to control its, its motion. It's not just a balloon. And uh, the other thing is, right off the bat, it was called spy balloon. Uh, but at the same time, it has to be something that we saw coming. We have allowed for it to come. There is a second one. And the government seems pretty okay with it. And uh, you you could not imagine this like during the Cold War, if you saw like a Russian spy balloon, even if it was like a toy balloon, it would probably be something. And it made the news. It would probably be something people were freaking out about. But in this case, it's uh, it doesn't seem to be taken that or presented that seriously by the government. As But we're still calling it spy balloon.
0: So to be clear, sp- By balloons or weather balloons, that type of um, device, whatever you want to call it, has been used throughout history. Like the U.S. has launched surveillance, weather balloons, and then other countries during times of war and then during times of Cold War have been floating over American soil. And in some cases, they carry explosives. So they are dangerous. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's high enough. It's at an altitude where it's not easily discernible with the human eye and it kind of evades some, um, I don't know what you call it, but like, like traditional surveillance.
1: It's creepy though, right? Like a slow moving balloon that's surveilling you. That's, that's <laughs> a nightmare, you know, um, and now it's powered by AI. No, thank you. I don't want that. That is definitely what
2: what I'm saying is like, should we freak out? Should we be freaking out about it or should we not?
1: Well, as you said, the military wasn't freaking out too much. I think I think the official report was they wanted to track it so they can shoot it down when it wasn't over, like, you know, people's homes. Right. Which
3: thank you, military.
1: Appreciate that. Um, They also
3: didn't want it to be too over too deep of water because they definitely wanted to retrieve it without making it a huge issue.
1: Right. So do they make some assessment that, oh, it probably isn't carrying explosives before they decided to let it, let it fly? I would imagine so.
0: And I think when, when we hear AI, we're imagining something very sophisticated. And I think it's actually somewhere in between like, ooh, a cute little balloon and like a military drone. And like AI has been around forever. And like, what is it actually doing and how smart, how intelligent is this AI?
1: Yeah, right. agreed. I've never built a Chinese spy balloon, but I can't imagine they're packing too much AI on that thing, right? It would have to communicate back with like some servers. You could intercept that communication potentially. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a spy balloon designer yet. Maybe I will be one day, but not today. Um, on the topic
3: I, of the, sorry, go ahead, Kevin. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say on the topic of the creator, they can't figure out who made it. Um, there's two weather balloon companies in China and one of them said we could make it but we didn't (laughs) and the other one also just denied to speak to that at all but it does look a bit like a weather balloon that a U.S. firm makes so it's still not clear where it came from
1: that's strange and there were other there were other sightings and other things shot out of the sky too right and I, I think we knew this was China because I think China said, "Yep, that's ours." But for the others, that hasn't happened. Is that correct?
2: That's right. The other two were were said to be UFOs uh, that are are uh, that were shot down, but they didn't they didn't they said that they didn't collect anything,
3: and they don't have any analysis on on what they were. think the president of china said he didn't know about the balloon um which makes things i mean plausible
0: deniability
3: yeah right we
0: didn't the other thing is like uh tamina you saying like oh maybe it's a u.s manufacturer or you know something like is the balloon coming from inside the house um i i do think um surveillance is kind of an issue so facial surveillance is a big situation where like everyone's face is like in the system right but from a balloon's balloon situation it's an aerial view <clears throat> and so you're going to be somewhat limited in tracking like specific people in my understanding of weather balloons is you're trying to track facilities and like maybe locations of certain resources or hangars or something but there's all sorts of surveillance that a lot of people don't care about if those systems get hacked if the u.s government gets hacked if a private contractor gets hacked all that information is out there anyways we're being surveilled
3: oh.
0: It was definitely too high to
3: track people. It's it's tracking facilities, and I don't. I mean, you know, apparently we're now a podcast of conspiracy theories, but <laughs> Alaska's right next to Russia, so. Well, the interesting thing is usually there's there's limitations
2: or there's regulation on where you can fly a drone and where you can't. So for most part, any individual cannot just go and and uh, fly a drone. Even close to any kind of government facility, but when we have an external, uh, external weather balloon like this, in this case Chinese, a weather balloon, and it's flying over the U.S., it's able to get that area of view that generally would be restricted to, to the common people.
1: Yeah, like how much of of these secondary balloons are just people like trolling NORAD, right? Like the North American Air Defense, I think they're called. I think this is the first time they actually shot anything down through NORAD, um, at least that they're admitting to. Uh, so, like, what are the others? Like, is it just like a sixth grade science fair project to throw a balloon up there, and suddenly we're spending like three million dollars on missiles to shoot it down?
3: It's a very expensive science project. <laughs> I hope it's not Elon Musk trolling all of us.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. I don't know. I wonder if we're gonna see a US spy balloon anytime soon. You know, where are we gonna seal the technology? I know we haven't figured out what data it was collecting just yet. They haven't, they re- recovered the balloon but haven't recovered the payload. So there's definitely more to unfold here.
0: And I think that was part of the wisdom um, to me. And I think you mentioned it, you know, they had to wait for it to traverse a great distance one because they didn't want anyone to be hurt if it were to land and have some sort of incendiary devices. But also if it lands in water, you can recover it more. It's almost like that black box on like uh, airplanes and stuff.
1: Someone should ask chat GPT if they know anything about it.
3: Ask <laughs> the big one. That's Sydney.
0: Oh no. <laughs>
1: all right Uh, we wrap things up with parting shots next on breaking changes roundtable
3: all right y'all for our parting shots we're going to talk about how to use ai to your advantage and so in light of recent layoffs and, you know, I've been in the tech space for a while, I really am passionate about helping people transition careers into tech or transition careers in general. So I've actually been using AI to help rewrite my friends resumes. Um, And I think anyone could, if you, you know, writing resumes is so hard, writing bullet points about what you did and making yourself look good. So take what you have in your resume and go ask chat GPT, write this. For, best, for resume best practices, bullet, rewrite this as resume best practices bullet points, and then use it as a brainstorming
0: place to start, and it'll help keep the ball rolling as you're working on your resume. That's a good one. I think that's a very practical tip. Mine's not going to be nearly as practical, but I think, Tamina, you mentioned it earlier. <clears throat> There's some people who just won't trust what comes from a computer or AI kind of frightens them, right? And so I think um, if you're listening to this podcast, then maybe you're a tech early adopter. Maybe you're already interested in tech and that's not you. However, you can get familiar with AI and try it out. There's a lot of AI that's abstracted from the user. You don't even know what's going on, not to scare you. Um, But there's also like um, OpenAI. There's uh, Bitten or Bard. There's several, several consumer free services where you can try it out and just form your own opinion. Don't listen to us. Form your own opinion, and um, you know, just start, start investigating, and start getting acclimated to AI because it's it's going to come. I think a lot faster than we think. I think AI can be a great assistant,
2: especially for people who uh, don't have English as their first language. So anybody who is struggling with English wants a way to a little bit of help to maybe improve their documentation. To rephrase it better or improve their resume, uh, it can really help uh, help them kind of make that uh, make that distance. And it's really interesting because in that specific scenario, most times people know what they want to say; they just want a little bit of help on the language front. So they, I think that's one of the use cases that I I feel I'm really passionate about is just if you are not uh, a native English speaker, use tools like ChatGPT to help you rephrase and, and present uh, what you want to present uh, a little better.
1: These are all really good answers. So I'm, I'm going to say how to not use AI to your advantage, right? Um, where we see AI really starting to break down is when we ask it to make decisions a human would make about the human experience. So don't use AI to figure out the end of an ethics argument, don't use AI to figure out like what you know, emotional sentiment we should be attaching to famous people, right? Um, It's not going to give you that kind of answer. Uh, And especially these conversational AI systems, you can make it answer the way it thinks you want it to answer. So it's really easy to get it into a position where you take a screenshot, and it looks like it's telling you something absolutely wild. Um, So, you know, don't don't try to use it to to do anything that a human should really be involved in. If you've got you know some some basic questions and answers, if you have to um, to if there are facts that you're seeking, you know maybe if you want to generate some code, I don't know maybe that's acceptable. But you know when it comes to the human experience, I think at least right now humans are better at that than AI.
0: And stop feeding the training models with your emotions.
1: Good point.
2: My book, API Analytics for Product Managers, is now available on Amazon. In this book, I dive into API product management and share frameworks for API lifecycle, governance, support, and KPIs alongside real-world examples. Like, comment, and subscribe to Breaking Changes Roundtable. And until next time, cheers.